here. Regret that we ask a task with such weight. Regret that we ask a task with such weight. Debt we cannot surpass is too great. Debt we cannot surpass. As of late, the past. Hope to unwind the fate of what the ventricity creates. Ain't no debates. This fascist cast. L do chase so innate. Vector restraint. So built to last. My family want to We the house slaves that trick you Make you behave in a way That our bed is engraved Upon a pair of stone tablets and caves And the reds do More exhibited Sun Tzu And a free soul among you Fearing the cold and the mold For the masses to cling to Autograph truth, no one knew Fortune favors the bold Welcome to episode 48. Today I am joined by none other than Cesar Comanche of the Justice League. He's here today to talk about his latest album, House Atreides, which is more of his illustrious work with DJ Flash. Also, we talk about his impressive discography, the latest Little Brother album, May the Lord Watch, engineering monkey bars for Sean Price, and much more. So after the interview, make sure you check out Cesar's music. You can check out my books. All of the links are on wegoingin.com. Cesar, man, I'm glad we could do this. And I saw you were just out in my neck of the woods out in Lynchburg um, a couple weeks ago, man. You stay on the road, I see, and, and stay doing a lot of shows. Yeah, man, I, uh, you know, just try to get to the people and just, I just love entertaining people. You know, giving them some good music, good performance. Uh, Lynchburg, that was my first time being there. So it was a cool place. I didn't realize there was two schools there. I didn't know that. So, yeah, I was just like, all right, this is cool. Yeah, but it was a good time. That's awesome. And that's your second time coming out to Virginia in the last few months. And, you know, we met up when you were in Charlottesville. So I got to ask, you know, what did you think of Charlottesville during your time you spent here for the um, the Nine Pillars Hip Hop Festival? Uh, I thought it was was great. You know, um, I saw the amount of, I could tell, without have, actually putting on a festival ever myself, but, you know, the amount of work that was put into it, uh, you know, I was really, uh, you know, just like, this is real cool. And, and honestly, that was my first time being in Charlottesville ever in my life, so... I was like, it's really cool to see that, uh, you know, it's a scene here and people like to get together. And I had a good time. You know, hopefully I'll do it again in the future, you know? You know, I, I think it'd be great if you came back. And I was super impressed with your live show, just the amount of energy and the the connection you, you build with the crowd. So, you know, what goes in to your live show and how do you prepare that? Um. Really, a lot of the preparation is me getting into the right state of mind because when I'm at a show, uh, and right now I'm talking about when I'm performing, it feels so natural to me to be there. I just feel like I'm at a show that I'm not performing at. I feel like I'm just part of the audience. So what I have to do to get myself in that mode is I have to do a quick review of just the journey that I had to go through to get to that point. And I don't mean like the journey that day, but just the journey of trying to be a musician, trying to 
uh, get people to take you seriously, all that, you know. So, it, you know, I bring myself back to that point, and then I think also in my head of this could be the last show you ever do in your life. Like, tomorrow's not promised, so don't take this for granted. And once I go through all that in my mind, I go up there and I just, like you said, connect with the people. You know, it's just, you just got to just, you know, let that energy out. And then when it goes back and forth, it just feels good. And, you know, you have to be having a good time for the people to have a good time. So it's like, it's just interesting when I see people perform, how it just doesn't look like they're enjoying it. And then, and then they don't understand why people are not getting more into it. I'm just like, you don't look like you enjoy what you're doing. So it's just being grateful to be able to get up in front of people and for people to actually listen to you. You know, even after all these years, you know, you got to always stay grounded in that this doesn't have to be happening. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the fact that I was performing at that festival, that wasn't something that's owed to me. I'm grateful that that can happen. You know, and then I got to meet you and, you know, other cats, too, that now I'm cool with. So it's just it's just a beautiful building thing, you know, and it's just always about staying grateful being prepared and understanding that it's my job to make sure that the people watching have the best experience you possibly can give them, you know? That's such a great response too. I mean, it shows just how, you know, how, um, how seriously you take the craft too. And I mean, do you think that's part of the reason why you've been able to be in the game for, you know, just about 20 years like that and still be able to tour and still be able to do stuff and um, just have that respect? I think definitely as part of it because I think people can pick up on when you're phoning it in, you know, and people can pick up on your kind of vibe. So I think that it helps that, you know, when you look at it through that lens of I got to prove myself over and over, even if somebody's a fan of mine per se, I still got to prove myself to them at that moment. And then of course there's people there that this is their first time ever hearing you. And I love those situations because then now it's like you're proving yourself to new people at the two. So it's like you're always, treating it as um, an exercise of showing that you're worthy of this thing, whatever it is, you know, and it helps you not ever become complacent. And I just don't feel complacent about any of it. Like I hold myself to a high standard and I've got to maintain that, you know, and people who, who come there, who spent their money or whatever, they, they're, they owed, they're owed that type of dedication to it. So, yeah, I just, I guess, you know, I'm just one of those people who, I just take it 
serious that it's an honor for anybody to be watching. And that, you know, that can help with longevity for sure. Because, you know, and it also keeps you from becoming jaded. Because it's definitely easily, especially after, like you said, 20 years, to, like, be like, uh, here we go again, going through the motions, this, that, and the third. It's 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 definitely a, a battle. And I can see how people become jaded, too. But, you know, you just got to keep your mind right. And what about just in terms of practicing the stage show? I mean, how much prep goes into the actual like rehearsing? I mean, is that something you still do or is that something that's become more of like an automatic skill? Um, when it comes to rehearsing, I'm more of somebody that rehearses in my head. So like during the day, let's say, I don't know, I'm doing something like, I don't know, like making up the bed or uh, washing dishes or something like that. While I'm doing that, I'm rehearsing. I'm going over a stage show in my, my head right then and there. So my rehearsing more is internal than external. And then when I get to a place, like let's just say the festival, I'm thinking, uh, I'm looking at the way it's set up and things like that. And have being done so many shows, like I'll know, like, okay, since this is an outside situation, we got the tent, um, and then people are going to be kind of standing in these certain places, I will adjust my performance to best fit the scenario it's in. You know, so it, it's it's a lot of for me. It's it's a lot of mental exercise, but I'm definitely you know um, preparing. It's just in a weird way because it's not necessarily I'm I'm working with a band. Now the times I've worked with a band, you know, done quick rehearses and things like that to make sure we're on the same page. But yeah, it's more it's more of a mental thing uh, for me. No doubt, that's awesome. I mean, it's it. it... I always like hearing artists and like kind of like their techniques and, and ways they go about things. And looking at in, in March, you dropped House of Treaties with DJ Flash. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's a great album. What I what I love about it is like it's it's very conceptual and you really have to like pay attention and really listen to it. It's not one of those albums that you just, you know, skip around on. You know, did you make the album with that in mind? Yes, I did. Um, that the thing about it is, is when I make albums, that's how I go about them. It's just this album, the House of Trades joint, was more obvious of a theme to it, you know. And it was obvious to a theme of a theme to a listener like yourself who is paying attention to certain things. Um, like what I had to do, though, which gave it an extra... Uh, degree of difficulty was I wasn't actually myself on this record. I was playing a character and uh, Flash, DJ Flash was playing, also playing a character. They, they had the same names, but we weren't talking ourselves. We were being two different characters that were making an album 21,000 years in the future and sending it back to this time. 
So I had to kind of approach it a different way. I have writ I wrote a whole um story that went along with this record that some people have it, some people don't. But um and I was coming from the standpoint of this short story I wrote. So yeah, it was it was definitely weird and then, you know, the way we uh did as far as sonically we wanted it to be boom bap because you know that's our sound but we wanted it to feel like oh this is boom bap not um inspired by any current feeling or situation you know what i'm saying so yeah it was definitely a lot of thought it it probably it took me a year and a half to even map it out the way I wanted to. And that doesn't count the actual recording process or picking music or anything. It was just, I had this idea, and then I was like, how do we achieve this? So, it, yeah, it just definitely, it definitely took time. I mean, that's a really far-out concept, too, um, to do. So I could see how it could take that long. So, you know... What was that process like? I mean, was it something that you had to kind of work on, step away from, think about it, go back to? Or was it something that really took like, you know, a lot of consistent work on? Like, how, like what was that process like? It was like the first way. It was I had to work, step away, work, step away now. Because, you know, constantly on this time I'm working, like I'm doing shows touring, you know, still selling previous albums, still pushing previous albums, and, you know, feature all the different things that a recording artist can be doing. I'm still doing those, but at the same time, I'm trying to put together this concept, which I was like, if I mess this up, it's it's going to sound contrived and just like... I don't want to ever sound like I'm trying to be different for the sake of being different. You know what I'm saying? Like somebody, oh, you're just trying to do that. Like I want it to sound still natural and like me. So to even do that, it was a challenge. So coming up with that concept, yeah, I had to, and then I was stuck because then now I'm going to have to, you know, if I'm not me, I'm having to write from another person's point of view that I created. So then for me to accurately do that, I had to create the world that they lived in, get that in my head, and I was writing from that world of, okay, if if I existed in this time that I created in this scenario, this these are the type of things I would be talking about, you know, so... Yeah, man, and then to make it not just sound crazy and still sound soulful and still sound, you know, it it was a challenge. Flash did his thing, like, you know, the way House of Trady sounds, the beats, that's not Flash's sound. That's just part of his bigger sound. His more His stuff is more of a boom bap in a way probably you would think of soulful boom bap kind of gritty boom bap things like that but this definitely was a uh a challenge for both of us 
you know. And uh, when now, what did you think about when you heard it? How did it make you feel when you listened to it? I mean, it was definitely trippy. I mean, the, I mean, the Dune reference gave me like a clue. And, right, right, right. And then you know, just the intro, and you know, just kind of hearing like the like the the kind of the spaced out sounds, you know, for lack of better description, gave me right. just kind of a, a clue. And then like, you know, after listening to a couple songs and and just seeing like you know, just kind of post-apocalyptic, kind of, you know, futuristic, spacey, like seeing just some of those themes kind of play through, let me know like, okay, this is a different type of album because like, it's not like I listened to the album with, you know, a press release telling me this is how I should listen to it. I hear you. Like it's, I, and I purposely, that's also purposely why I did it that way because when it came to the theme, I was like, like you said, there was no press release. So I was like, so if these are people (laughs) sending, I know it sounds silly, but if this album is being sent from a different time, then it necessarily wouldn't have that. Like I'm thinking about all this and I'm like, I got to make it seem like this is really what happened. So I just like kind of went all the way with the concept of this is just some renegade recording that wasn't supposed to happen and you happened to uh, had got wind of it and this is a warning telling you what's going to happen and now you need to do whatever you do in your time to help this not come true what I'm talking about on the album, you know? Right. Yeah. No, I I think that's really cool. Did you find that you kind of threw fans for a loop if they're more, you know, thinking about like a night in the thief or looking at like Wood Nichols or Squirrel in the Aces? Like, do you think that that you threw fans off a little bit with this one? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, it was definitely. Um... If I, I would be lying if I didn't say it wasn't going to be a concern. It wasn't a concern of mine. And even now, like, it's not necessarily, I feel better about it now that, you know, some people heard it and it's, like, kind of circulating. Um, and people seem to get it. But that's the thing. Like, I, it, I wanted to be able to create something like this that was within me to create, but I wanted it to sound natural. And for the people who have been supporting what I do up to this point, I wanted it still to make sense. I wanted it to be like, oh, this is some other stuff, but at the same time still make sense. Like, oh, this is still something that he would do though not like i'm reaching for something else you know what i'm saying right yeah so it's just kind of you i was just on kind of a tightrope with that you know and i felt that that's what i was doing but you know i can't control how somebody else feels about that no that that makes that makes sense and was it hard to bring flash into that element or did he embrace the idea and and really run with it himself production wise. Yeah, he ran with it. He ran with it. Like I feel like let me think. Only two songs 
on the whole record did I wait was it one or two I know at least one one of the songs I actually picked out uh, the the sample material for everything else was outside of okay so maybe two of the beats he already had everything else was made for the most part based off of me and his discussion so he was finding uh things that could fit into this realm that we were creating and still being like oh it's still boom back but it's fits this theme and uh yeah he did that um he came up with himself and he hasn't even been uh had the job of being a, a beat maker for that long it's only been i'd say two or three years i think he's just really picked up on it quickly but i mean you know he's had crisis and ninth and other cats like around him all the time so you know he was always absorbing stuff like a sponge you know and he has this of course he's a dj so he understands the swing in the pocket and all these different things you know i mean that, that that's really cool and it's it's awesome to see too that you know justice league guys are still working with each other you know how strong is that justice league bond today um, it is, I mean, I guess it just depends on who you're talking about. Like, I just feel like some of us, like all 15 of us, we're cool in different degrees, depending on who you're talking about. Like, some people probably haven't talked to each other in years. I know I haven't seen some people in years. Um. You know, but, you know, all of us started this thing, you know, out of nothing. It wasn't like we had a prior uh, situation that we built off Justice League. We built Justice League, the crew, from scratch and made it mean something to some people, you know. So no matter what, that's a reality and nobody can change that, you know, but people grow, get older, different things. Like you said, in 20 years, you evolve so much and get to know yourself and other people as a person. And some people I felt grew together and kind of had that chemistry. And then we're not even talking about musical chemistry because I feel like any of us could make dope music together. More chemistry as personality-wise and just as a as a man, you know what I'm saying? Like those people kind of grew together more and keep in touch more and others kind of, you know, you kind of fall wayside. It's just like when you were in junior high school and you went to high school, how some of the cats, y'all grew together and it was like, dad, you used to hang with this cat from junior high that you don't even really see anymore. You know, it's just one of those things over time. It just, but JL is still JL. Anybody, you know, all 15 of us are JL no matter what, even if we haven't talked to each other in 10 years, you know? And I wish everybody nothing but the best. 
No doubt. So how do you reflect on those years, especially you look at like the early to mid 2000s, you know, you're looking at like Squirrel and the Aces, the listening minstrel show, you're looking at, you know, the Chitlin circuit, like all these um, projects um, coming out and just like, that was when it was like everybody in the Justice League was dropping something, you know, flow, median, right. um, everybody. So like, how do you look back on, on that time period today? I look at it, honestly, more in amazement because I'm going to be real with you. Like, none of us grew up together. Like, none of us out of us 15, we're all from 15, yep, 15 different places. We just happened to meet in college, you know, and this was in uh, the mid-'90s when me and Ninth met in 1996. And it was just by happenstance. Like, we weren't friends or anything before that and you know cats just were those other kids so once you got to the end of the 90s like 99 and then 2000 uh well jail started in 99 but anyway so when you get to the end of the 90s you know the um that whole Rough Riders and Swiss Beats and all that type of thing, that sound was real big. And then you had, you know, um, the quote-unquote what other people thought. And we're not talking about, like, Dungeon Family or anybody like that, but what other people thought of the South when it came to, like, you know, um, the cats from New Orleans and stuff like that and, and other people from Atlanta and then some stuff from Florida. So when we were trying to start just making music locally and trying to do some shows locally, like, people looked at us like we were just, like, what are y'all doing? Like, y'all are trying to do some archaic form of rap that cats don't listen to anymore. So, out of a lack of support, we were kind of the, ended up being, you know, in the end of the day, 15 people who the type of music you heard eventually us make, that was what we liked. And it was a lot of people just weren't rocking with us like that. So we were those other kids at that time. And it's just interesting to think about in that era, I feel like there was pockets of other kids because you that's when, you know, you had your raucous records. You was uh, popping. You had your, you know, um, Detroit cast Dylan in them, and you had Stone's Throw. So then you had these different pockets of other kids at that time. And it's just weird because, you know, one or two moves, none of that would have happened. So I just look back at it and think of how I don't think that can happen again, or at least not in our lifetime, of all those different pieces had to come together at the same time who were not in, and we're talking about rap right now, not in the quote-unquote popular sound, build something and an environment that wasn't nurturing to it at first, but eventually started uh, getting the ears of these people and, you know, 
it just started bubbling little by little. And then we started actually to make a living off this. That was something that, like, I don't know. It's it's not even like it's about being rich, but it's like almost some winning the lottery odds of you making all these things happen. So I would look back at it now in kind of amazement and like how did that happen? But it seemed perfectly natural at that time because we were just in it. That's all we knew. But it's crazy to think about it and to think about like I started, you know, uh, I was in my twenties, which, and you, and you, you just getting, you're starting to see what show business about, and you know, to be able to kind of survive through all that is just amazing. It's like kind of looking back, like it, like it didn't actually happen to you, like you're watching a movie or something. That's kind of how it feels. It's just very surreal. That's amazing. And what what did you think, you know? of the new LB album, May the Lord Watch? Um, I thought it was cool. Like, to me, in my opinion, that's my third favorite Little Brother album. I think the listening and uh, minstrel show are one and two, and sometimes I like the minstrel show more than listening. Sometimes I like the listening more than the minstrel show, but I think May the Lord Watch sounds like Little Brother to me. Like, that's how I would imagine them sounding, if that makes any sense, more than the other ones did that came after the minstrel show. I mean, I think that's how I would rate them, too. Hmm. And and also, I mean, when I think about the minstrel show, like I remember going, um, I forget where. I think it was in Maryland. I think I I, I met them at some club in Baltimore, and right. you know, Doe, everybody was there, and the the listening had had dropped, and it was, you know, in herb and elemental and the source. It was it was getting maybe not the source, but it was everywhere at the time. Like hip hop site mm. was covering it, like, and so hearing it live was like, man, this is incredible. And so I I think the listening will probably be my favorite little brother album. Um, and I'm not sure if that can ever change whether right, it's right. just the quality of the music or the, also the time of life I was in. Yep. No, I hear you, man. But also when we look at, look at you, I mean, you have a huge discography, really strong. You look at wooden nickels and squirrel and the aces. I mean, how do you feel looking back at what you've accomplished and thinking about that as far as like, where you move next and what you want to get, get done and accomplish next? Um, I look back at it and again, the word surreal comes up. Like I, if I like, if I go back and listen to paper gods or, Squirrel and the Aces, either one of the Squirrel and the Aces, the Japan one or the worldwide one. It's like, I mean, even something as recent as far as my discography goes, like A Night and a Thief, I feel like I, I feel like I didn't even make those records. Like it's like listening to somebody else's record, and you, and I remember writing the lyrics, I remember recording, and all that type of stuff. But I, it's like an out-of-body thing that, like, I actually made these records. Like, 
and that's weird. And I have to remind myself that I did. And each one is a time capsule of how good of a song maker and album maker I was at the time I did them. You know, and hopefully when people, like, if you have knowledge of their albums, you know, and you're, you like them in any form or fashion, that I hope that people can tell that, like, oh, if they look at, listen to Wood Nichols, then they're like, oh, he, I'm listening to Paper Gods, and I can tell he got better. And I'm listening to the Squirrel and Aces, both of them, and I can tell he got better. You know, that's what I'm hoping <laughs> somebody listens to them that they're doing um but you know people are going to have their favorites and then you know it's interesting to even hear like when somebody brings up a song like that you know it's like interesting that's your favorite song from that album huh interesting because it's like you don't know what any individual is gonna uh latch on to um I'm very proud of them um, because I remember exactly, you know, the struggle it took to make any of that happen. Um, Yeah, they're like my children, honestly. I don't have any human kids, but each of those albums are are my kids, and I just happen to have nine kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. It's incredible too. I mean, because you see the growth and everything. You know, how do you think your writing process has changed over the years? At first, let's say pre wooden nickel. Well, pre wooden nickels and then the wooden nickels. The uh, the you know the two thousand album. I used to write to just write, and then I would find um, music by the producers like you know at the time it was Urell, Knife, uh Big Doe and Eccentric. The uh they were the planet at the time, but I would find we would find stuff to fit what I had already wrote. So that was how I used to be. So when I got to the second album which dropped in 2002, so I needed to I was learning more how to write to an actual beat. So that was Paper Gods. So I was learning to like, oh, I don't need to try to hit you with all these words to show you how smart I am or how cool I am or like I got to prove to you. I was like, no, I need to still give you me, but I need to give you me in a more musical way. So that's what I was learning on Paper Gods. And so by the time we get to the to the both Squirrel and the Aces albums, because there's two of them, um, now I'm like, okay, I have, you know, the ideas. I have the understanding of exactly rhythmically how I want to deliver. Now I've got to put both that together understanding getting the music and then now tailoring the structure of my delivery and the structure of where things go and the time time signature uh making sure i'm writing to the correct times all that type of stuff 
that's where you get to when I'm doing my squirrel and the aces. Uh, but on top of that, when I hear a piece of music that fits the album, I'm thinking in nature. So what I'll do is like, does this beat I'm listening to sound like daytime or nighttime? So then I choose which one of those. But then I'm like, okay, if this is a nighttime beat, is this a nighttime beat in the winter, spring, summer, or fall? And then I choose one. So I'll say, okay, it's nighttime, fall. That's what it makes me feel like. So now what I'm talking about in my delivery, cadence, all that type of stuff, I have to match all of that to a nighttime, and subject matter too, to a nighttime fall feel. So then it, I just became more of somebody giving you the exact emotion I'm trying to um, achieve in, in a lot of different ways when you listen to a song. So it all has that cohesion. That's amazing. Oh, thanks, man. So how do you know when you get it? How do you know that you did it? Um, I'm my own worst critic, I think. So when I, let's say I'm recording a verse, Okay. And I'm my own engineer, and, my, and I arrange music. So, like, if you gave me a beat, I might arrange that beat a little differently or whatever, or we'll do it together or something, but, like, I arrange the music, too, and, and mix and do all that stuff. So when I, like, say I record a verse, I'm recording the first verse, I listen to it. When I listen to it, I have to believe everything I said. Like, I'm not telling any lies, but I have to believe that when I wrote, when I delivered this song to you, that whatever inspired me to write that or whatever I'm writing about, that I'm going through it right at that moment, even if I'm not. So if I don't 100% believe it, then it ain't right, and I have to do it again. And then once I get the whole song, if I believe the whole song, then it's right. And then that's when I can actually mix it and do all the different things to it. That's awesome. And as far as mixing goes, I mean, you do have engineering experience. So mm -hmm. how, do, how does that factor into the music you make? And, and do you engineer everything you do? Uh-huh, yeah. Um Although I started engineering my albums halfway through my second album. So I learned to engineer on Paper God. So that came out in 2002. So everything from 2000, Wooden Nichols was all Urell. And I think Ninth assisted him some. I think Ninth might have engineered one song on Paper God's or, like, recorded one or two songs, and then I took over. Um, but, yeah, like, after, everything since 2002, for sure, till now, like, I've engineered and arranged everything. And um, I've had, you know, different people send me verses sometimes, and, of course, you know, that stuff they recorded or they had somebody record, but I still 
actually mixed it into the song myself. Um, yeah, and I mean, I did that because, you know, it was a 15-person crew, and I felt that if one or two people are being counted on to do the mixing for, I'm trying to think, is it was it six or seven acts in jail? Then that come it, it becomes a bottleneck, and I wanted to be able to take my own stuff into my own hands. You know what I'm saying? So, and that's why I built Missy Ann Studio. So, from to all the stuff of mine recorded starting with Paper Gods which was 2002. So Missy Ann started in 2001. The studio I built here. Um, all my stuff has been recorded in Missy Ann, like, since then, too. Since I had a studio, I need to know how to freaking record, you know? No doubt. And, yeah. And you also engineered on um, Monkey Bars and some of the other Duck Down releases that, you know, came through North Carolina. Um, what was that like, you know, especially especially working with Sean and Monkey Bars? Yeah, that was crazy, man. Um, I'm going to tell you, like... You know, Smith and Wesson, it was interesting watching them work because, you know, they always had that going off of each other very well, rhyme things. So they sit down, like they sat down, like right outside and like they get a piece of music and they wrote it together and then boom, would knock it out. Um, Buckshot, I mean, he's just like, it was weird because his voice, like, he sounds like Buckshot. I know that sounds stupid, <laughs> but, like, when you're listening to, you know, I'm I'm pretty sure you've listened to, you know, Mad Black Moon stuff, Mad BCC stuff, but it's like when he's rapping in front of you and recording, it's like you're thinking to yourself, like, that's, I mean, that's how he sounds. It's not too much you got to do to his voice. It's just like, you know, it's just like, this is just how this dude sounds. He's just like, it's crazy. And um, Sean Price, I mean, you know, obviously, you know, cats know if they they know fans of Sean Price or friends, family. He's a character, man. He He's just a real, he was a real cool dude. Um, you know, you sit down and chop it up with him. He didn't have any type of, like, airs that he was above or below anybody. It was just, like, one of your old homies type thing. And, and you know, it was cool to become cool with him. And, then, I mean, a compliment he gave me, he honestly said, like, recording in Missy Ann, and this is from him, he said that it was the most comfortable he's felt in a studio. Wow. Like, and yeah, that's what I was said. And he and I wasn't asking him no questions. He just started saying that like this is the most because he said like in a lot of studios, a lot of cats around. You don't know who this is. You don't know who that is. Like everybody is like you know everybody's got to be super cool and super hard and show how like you know machismo they are. And it's like here you just come and you just chill. Like it ain't no. Because that's how I run my studio. It's like only the anybody who's around is people who are needed for whatever project or song we're doing. Like, other than that, it's nobody. You know what I'm saying? So it's like you just get to just chill and 
not be like, okay, who is this cat? What are these people doing over here? Like, you know, he was just like bad comfortable. You know, he's and we were actually supposed. He was told me that you know we were like supposed to do uh, a jam together, and um, you know, obvious for obvious reasons, it it didn't happen. No doubt, but but you know those kind of props too. Those those are forever. Yeah, for sure, for sure. No, I'll, I'll always remember that time. You know, and these are people that I listened to when I was in high school. So it's weird to be working alongside somebody that like you grew up listening to. You know, and I'm just thankful for that opportunity and that experience. Looking to what you're going to do next, you know, have you thought about the next album? Have you started working on that next project? Um, I haven't started working on the next project. Um, I'm working on some songs that are not going to be on that project. I am not sure exactly what they're going to be on or what they, they might be like, I don't know. I might just release like a, a, a vinyl EP or something. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do with them right now, but, um, the next project I have the actual Cesar Comanche album. I have the title in my head. The exact theme of that record, I don't have 100% worked out yet. But we're getting there. It's one of those things where I'm building it in my mind, and it's just all got to make sense, and then I can get started. But, um, yeah, there's going to be... definitely more albums you know like if you know i i just as long as i can make stuff and it still be dope i'm gonna still make albums if if stuff starts sounding whack then i'll be like yeah it's about time to hang it up (laughs) (laughs) fair enough right yeah (laughs) but i I don't want to do that to the people let me just (laughs) stop (laughs) control yeah (laughs) 